Podcastle 276 for September 3rd, 2013. Juan Caceres in the Zapateros Workshop by Derek Kunskin. Rated R. Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Anna Schwind, your host and co-editor. Once upon a time, when I was younger than was good for me, I sat in a room with a good friend, chatting animatedly and trying to decide whether to pursue an avenue of sexual interest. I was old enough to have had ex-boyfriends, and to know that seeking the carnal might divest me of a great friendship. I elected to keep my giddy thoughts of kisses and caresses to myself. I stepped up to the edge of making my interest known, then backed away from it. I decided not to do anything. I say this to you, listener, not as a moralistic story on self-control. I have the opposite story equally available in my life experience, and could have chosen that one instead though it did not go well for me and is predictably sad, so I'll spare you it. I tell the first one because I so clearly remember that moment when I sat there contemplating erotic adventures and I had the full knowledge that either way I was making an irrevocable choice. I had the sense that indulging or refraining We're both going to change things between us forever. That I stood in a moment of choice and to let it pass was just as powerful, just as affirming of a boundary as to pursue the desire. We live our lives hundreds of decisions a day, most of which don't fundamentally change us or the world. But some decisions and the actions that go with them are irrevocable. Take, for example, the giving of clothes to elves. That's all it takes to free those little guys from any obligation toward those they aid. It's that simple. And not just for J.K. Rowling, but also according to far older tales such as the elves and the shoemaker collected by the Brothers Grimm. In the Potterverse, the elves are most often shown in thrall to cruel wizards who must be tricked into clothing them, which frees them. However, in the Grimm version, the shoemaker is elderly, kind, and also very poor. Doesn't make a difference to the elves. The minute he and his wife whip up some nice tiny clothes for them, they vanish and offer no more of their mysterious aid. The shoemaker's choice has changed things forever. The elves and the shoemaker is sometimes referred to as the cobbler and the elves. Do you know the difference between a shoemaker and a cobbler? I thought they were synonyms until this introduction. They are not. English sure loves its diversity of nouns, doesn't it? A shoemaker is self-explanatory, someone who makes shoes. But a cobbler? A cobbler is not a shoemaker, but a shoe repairer. Cobblers are practically vanished now because many people these days opt to replace their shoes with new rather than have an existing pair fixed. Shoes are disposable in modern society. 
as is the word for the person who repairs them, the cobbler. Today's story is Juan Cáceres in the Zapatero's Workshop, and you may let me know at the end whether the Zapatero in question is a shoemaker, a cobbler, or both. Spanish doesn't have its own noun for cobbler, by the way, but there's a splendid adjective, remendón, which can be added on to either tailor or shoemaker to change it from creator into repairer of said goods. Juan Cáceres in the Zapatero's Workshop first appeared in When the Hero Comes Home 2, edited by Gabrielle Harbowy and Ed Greenwood, and out now from Dragon Moon Press. It was written by Derek Kunskin, whose stories have appeared in Beneath Ceaseless Skies and Asimov's Science Fiction, among others. He won the 2012 Asimov's Reader's Award for his novelette, Way of the Needle. Derek worked with street kids in Honduras for a year, and later did much the same with teens in Colombia before settling in Ottawa, Canada. His website is www.derekkunskin.com. The story is read for you today by Roberto Suarez of the Trailer Clash podcast. You may remember his delightful reading of Saladin Ahmed's Dr. Diablo Goes Through the Motions, Podcastle Miniature 75, or perhaps Wolves, Podcastle Miniature 69. So... Take a look at that pair of shoes you're wearing. Could you use new soles? And enjoy the story. Juan Caceres in the Zapatero's Workshop by Derek Kunsken. Juan Caceres swayed triumphantly back into San Pedro Sula on a Wednesday. Hours had passed but the foggy, laughing dizziness from the ogre toe he had snorted had not worn off. He stumbled from the bus station and weaved between angry white taxis jamming the narrow streets. Old goblin ladies trundled wooden carts of soup, mango, and tortilla. They hissed and watched with yellow eyes so that he could not sneak his fingers around an unwatched tortilla. His stomach ached. Begging for food would not work, dressed as he was in all his goblin finery. He traded his white school shirt for a stained t-shirt to a kid whose goblin sickness had wrapped his fingers in fine scales. Another kid, huffing into a bag of ground pixie, traded Juan Caceres' his old shorts for the school slacks. Only the kid's fingers had gone green. There was still time for him. Get yourself some more ground pixie, brother, Juan Caceres said. The fingers of Juan Caceres, the trickster, were smooth and brown. Goblin sickness might chase him, and thick-skinned police and fork-tongued social workers might roam the streets like predators, sweeping up unwary kids. But Juan Caceres was too clever. Ricardo wasn't clever. He was easy to trick and was probably already in trouble. Or maybe he wasn't. It would be nice to find out that he'd followed his brother's footsteps. Juan Caceres imagined little Ricardo slipping small fingers into the pocket of a goblin and slipping out a few bills, or begging for food with him outside Pizza Hut. An unfamiliar pride swelled in his chest. A year ago, Juan Caceres had led a group of kids on an adventure, begging and hitching their way all the way to Tegucigalpa in the south and Atlantida in the north. Juan Caceres had left Ricardo in San Pedro, too small. But none of the kids who'd followed were with him anymore. 
They peeled away, one by one, sneaking back to their mothers, staying in different cities, or getting caught. Until finally, Juan Caceres was caught too. The plaza at Quinta was empty of kids. At the Parque Central, no one was begging outside the Burger King or trying to palm a watch from the repair stand. At Septima, where market awnings strangled street traffic to a choked lane, was a young zapatero fixing shoes surrounded by discarded soles. Goblins used ground pixie to repair shoes, but a kid could buy a viscous spoonful of pixie from a zapatero if he came to the zapatero's cot. Juan Caceres traded his shoes for two spoonfuls of pixie at the bottom of a clear, thin bag. He headed west, away from the center of San Pedro. Ricardo was not in any of their usual purchase. The faces of the kids Juan Caceres could find had all changed. Some kids went back to their villages. Others gave up pixie and became goblins. The goblin police and social workers picked up others in raids. New kids from the villages and barrios were driven into San Pedro. Some were half-turned, scales on one cheek and up into the scalp. Others were all goblin-faced, but looking to turn back. The heavy sun melted onto the roofs of garages and factories before he found Ricardo kicking a ball with some other kids at the bus station for El Progreso. They wore school uniforms. Little Ricardo was tall now, taller than Juan Caceres, the trickster, and Ricardo's short sleeves revealed arms grown thick with yellow scales. Ricardo! Ricardo jerked and stepped back, hiding his arms behind him. Sleek yellow scales wrapped the heads of the other two boys. Juan raised his chin and looked at the two balefully. Be gone, you goblins, he said, waving his arms as if shooing crows. I am Juan Caceres. I have returned from detention, where I snorted real ogre toe and survived. Ricardo is under my protection. Be gone. Juan Caceres stamped his foot. The two goblins bolted. Ricardo shrank from his older, smaller brother. What have they done to you, Ricardo? He touched Ricardo's shoulder. It was warm through the scales. They forced you into these clothes and took away your ground pixie, didn't they? They made you learn your catechism and grammar, poor Ricardo. Ricardo smiled sheepishly. They did the same to me in Malapaga Detention Center, but I tricked them all. I escaped and came back to save you. Juan Caceres pulled the two crumpled plastic bags from the waistband of his shorts. He smoothed one out, kneading the stickiness at the bottom. This is for you. A scaled hand emerged shyly. Ricardo inflated the bag. Juan Caceres inflated his. They inhaled. Soon they were laughing. They ran from Trece to Septima, then south into the parts of San Pedro that had no reason to sleep. They talked of police and teachers and goblin sickness. Juan Caceres talked of Malapaga and the ogre toe. Ogre magic was so strong that his light dizziness had still not faded. Goblin sickness could not touch him, but Ricardo was infected. Ricardo needed ground pixie, probably stronger than the street-grade stuff they were inhaling. Ricardo handed his bag back to Juan Caceres, unfinished. I'll save you, Juan Caceres said. I'll get stronger stuff. 
Ricardo stared toward cloud-hidden stars. He laughed and moaned at once, laying a scaled arm before his eyes. <laughs> it's too late, Juan, he said. Look at my clothes. No, look at me, he said, thumping his chest and pulling at Ricardo's arm. I traveled the whole country, didn't I? I got out of Malapaga, didn't I? The goblin part beat me, Ricardo said miserably. I have to go. Mama said she'll beat the goblin into me. Wait for me. Tomorrow night, Juan Caceres said. I am going to the first zapatero to get the pure stuff. Uncut pixie. Ricardo looked back with unfocused eyes. He'll never give you that. Juan Caceres slept until noon under an abandoned stall on Septima and begged his way south all afternoon. Juan Caceres' bare feet felt like they barely touched the oil-stained street. The magic of the ogre toe was indelible. The first zapatero fixed shoes far past Avenida de los Presidentes, among the squat, dry buildings that had survived hurricanes and coups because they were valueless. He had access to live pixie. He knew of their feeding and killing. He could grind them without wasting their potency. Other zapateros bought cut pixie from him. The first zapatero also sold cut pixie to boys in the barrio for cash or for going to his cot. The first zapatero's workshop was a small cinder block house with a dusty tin roof. The front window opened like a storefront with shoes of different ages and styles hanging on the bars. Juan Caceres beat his little fist on the metal door until the grizzled, gray-bearded face appeared in the window. Mierda, the zapatero said. Get away from my door before I take my belt to you. The zapatero was old. His pot-belly pressed against a shirt worn transparent with age. Not a single scale marred his skin. He worked with powerful magic that let none of the goblin sickness near him. I am Juan Caceres, the boy who traveled the whole country and who escaped from Malapaga Detention Center by snorting ogre toe. I have come to save my brother. I want uncut pixie. I will trade some of my ogre magic. I don't need any ogre magic, and I don't sell uncut pixie. If you want strong pixie, come inside and earn it. Uncut pixie only, Juan Caceres said. The zapatero donned a pair of scratched glasses and examined Juan Caceres from crown to toe. You'll do fine, he said finally. I'll give you uncut pixie if you stay with me seven nights. But I don't think you'll survive that long. I challenge you to three tasks of your choice, Juan Caceres said. If I win, you give me uncut pixie. If you win, I'll stay with you fourteen nights. The zapatero rubbed rough fingers against the gray stubble on his chin, as if weighing the values in the wager. Then his smile became cunning. Heavy metal bolts slid in locks and fittings until the door creaked open to darkness. Come in. Juan Caceres stepped into the workshop. The zapatero shut all the locks and put the key on a chain about his neck. The smell of pixie was old and thin. He patted Juan Caceres on the shoulder, a touch that edged on stroking. 
Juan Caceres spun away. I am ready for the tasks, he said. The zapatero grunted and shuffled to a wooden table near the window. He dragged out a stool for Juan Caceres and sat in a chair whose spatting squirmed from dull vinyl. The zapatero turned a light bulb hanging by a wire, illuminating stained tools. Broken shoes swarmed the table legs like kids begging for pixie. First, we can see who can cobble best, the zapatero said. I found these shoes in the trash. Can you fix them? I am Juan Caceres. I snorted Ogretoe and escaped from Malapaga. The zapatero had a watery, gurgling laugh. He drank aguardiente from a small bottle. His lips stayed wet. <laughs> Three pair each, boy. Juan Caceres dug free a pair of loafers whose surfaces had worn past the false leather. The insole had rubbed to the corrugated bones of the shoe. Juan Caceres took up a brush and began. The zapatero hunched over a woman's shoe with a broken heel. Within an hour, the zapatero had fixed three pairs of shoes. One he had genuinely repaired. He had filmed and painted over the others to look fine to the undiscerning eye, but within days, the shoes would unmake themselves and seek the zapatero again. I give you one hour more, then you come to my cot, he said, scoffing at Juan Caceres' efforts. Yes, it looks like I will fail, Juan Caceres said. The zapatero shuffled to the back of the workshop. When he disappeared behind a curtain, Juan Caceres scrambled up the air itself on the magic of the ogre toe. Rows of refurbished shoes waited under films of dust on the top shelf of the workshop. He took three pairs down and put three broken pairs up there, where they would not soon be noticed. But the fixed shoes he had taken down looked too fine. The zapatero's scratched glasses lay on a countertop. Juan Caceres hid these beneath the wash of shoes beneath the table. The front bars of the workshop had steel doors that closed over them for the night. Juan Caceres next latched these shut. In the gloom, under the sickly bulb, the shoes were difficult to see, even for the trickster. Juan Caceres sat and made as if he were working, polishing and gluing and heating and wiping. The zapatero returned, buckling his belt. Why did you close the front? he demanded. If I am to lose, I don't want anyone to see my shame. The zapatero rubbed his hands together. He settled himself into a plastic chair and drank. After an hour, he grumbled and approached. The three pairs of shoes sitting on the table stole his voice. He held them close, under the yellow bulb, looking absently for his glasses. How did you do this? he sputtered. Is your father a zapatero? I have no father. I am Juan Caceres, the boy who snorted ogerto. I escaped from Malapaga. The zapatero threw down the shoes. You won't do so well on the other tasks. Come to the back. Juan Caceres followed him through a dirt-floored room where a cot sat beside a one-element range. A high-walled yard of hard-packed grit lay behind the workshop, littered with garbage and dismembered shoes. A big dog rose, lean and mangy, with short, dark fur and cruel eyes. It barked and charged until the end of its chain choked it back. The zapatero pointed at a rusted wheelbarrow and a toothless rake. 
The rubbish is piling up. I'll give you 15 minutes to clean the garden, he said. Then I'll clean 15 minutes. We'll see who does best. But the dog likes to play. The zapatero laughed as he unfastened the dog's collar. He held the snarling dog from lunging at Juan Caceres. <laughs> he likes you. Juan Caceres trembled. Dogs were not like goblins or men. They could not be tricked with magic or outsmarted with sleight of hand. Juan Caceres hurried around the garbage to a set of rusted metal bars that might have fit into a window frame. Let me know when you give up, the zapatero smiled. He backed into the house and released the dog's collar. The frenzy of barking and the charging speed of the dog's open mouth paralyzed Juan Caceres. He darted behind the metal bars and shifted one, making a rude cage around himself. The dog leapt on the cage. It creaked under his thrown weight. The barking boomed, fast and terrifying. Juan Caceres cowered. Flecks of saliva rained on him. Juan Caceres wanted to burrow to some place where there was no fear. He had roamed from the Caribbean in the north to the Mayan ruins in the west and to the mountains in the south. He had been threatened by goblins and men, but had never faced a savage animal. Juan Caceres backed to the cinder block wall of the yard. The dog hammered its dumb head at the cage. Quick snapping fangs, housed in wet gums, dripped furious saliva. The dog would not get through, but if he did not escape the dog, not only would Ricardo become a goblin, but Juan Caceres would become the Zapatero's plaything. Juan Caceres pulled a collapsed bag from the waistband of his shorts. The goo that Ricardo had not finished was sticky at the bottom. A few puffs would settle his nerves. But instead of inflating, Juan Caceres turned the bag inside out so that the last accurate stickiness was at his fingertips, glinting its dizzying magic. The dog snapped, prying its snout between the bars. With the kind of quick movement used to take a wallet or a cufflink, Juan Caceres smeared the ground pixie onto the dog's nose. The dog yelped and backed away, snapping at the air and rubbing its nose with its paw. He whined and twitched and then ran in circles. Dogs did not mix well with magic. A residue of ground pixie remained in the bag, so while he waited, Juan Caceres inflated it and inhaled until the dizzying magic hit him. It was a small hit, but with the ever-present charge of magic from the ogre toe, he began to feel good. Juan Caceres decided to help the dog. He crawled from under the bars. The dog ran from one side of the yard to the other, snapping at the air, his paws barely touching the dirt. Juan Caceres laughed as the dog's feet left the ground higher and higher until he was over the wall and running on the wind, gone to bark and bite at the wide world. Juan Caceres ran around the yard like the dog, laughing louder and harder until his feet touched cinder block instead of dirt. He circled the walls, snatching old shoe soles and wasted bags and flaky papers. He'd filled the wheelbarrow and then piled garbage beside the wheelbarrow. After five circuits of the yard, there was little left and his feet skidded on air, coming to ground by the door. The wind he'd created nosed about the yard, not entirely done. Juan Caceres slumped against the dusty wall, wishing he had a cigarette. The door creaked open. What's going on here? The zapatero growled. I got it all done. Where is the dog? Probably at the bus station by now, Juan Caceres laughed, biting all the goblin ladies at their tortilla carts.
The Zapatero's face reddened. Juan Caceres thought he might fly into a rage and back out on the wager. The old man's eyes narrowed. He'll be back. Come inside, boy. Juan Caceres entered the darkened workshop. It remained stuffy and hot, despite the creeping evening. The buzz of the ogre toe felt stronger in the close warmth. The old man uncovered a safe under boxes of dead shoes. Juan Caceres was startled to see five pixies inside, small as toys. The zapatero pulled one of the squirming things out and snapped the safe shut. The pixie keened as the zapatero sat across from Juan Caceres. He pulled out a flat silver dish and a grating surface carved in bone. What is that? Juan Caceres asked. The only thing that can grind pixie, the zapatero said. The bone of someone who inhaled pixie. Juan Caceres stared at the bone. It was short, a child of ten or twelve, like Juan Caceres. The pixie screamed as the zapatero rasped the bone along the bottoms of its feet. It was horrible. Bright dust fell to the plate bloodlessly. As the zapatero ground and the stumps of the feet shortened, only dust was revealed, packed as hard as the grit of the ground itself. The zapatero twisted the pixie to avoid tiny gnashing teeth. Not just anyone knows how to hold a pixie to avoid being bitten and to keep her legs rigid while you grind. The powder accumulated in a tiny pile, pure, uncut pixie. With heat, it would melt into a goo that could be inhaled, with magic enough to turn back goblin sickness. Juan Caceres rose and waved his hand before his face. It's too strong. It's too hot in here. <laughs> the zapatero said. You can't handle the vapors. Juan Caceres opened the metal shutter he had closed earlier. I beat you at the other two tasks, but I can't see how I could beat you at this one, he said. Juan Caceres went to the back of the workshop and opened the door to the yard, letting in the unsettled night air. The night wind crept into the workshop. Ogres are nasty beasts, the zapatero said. Dirty. What was it like? Juan Caceres told the zapatero of the ogre's need for cigarettes and aguardiente in detention, and how he'd gotten the ogre to agree to give the toe. As the story went on, Juan Caceres slipped a shoe beneath the edge of the stained table. The wind took grains of ground pixie one by one and rolled them along to the edge of the table until they fell into the shoe. The zapatero laughed at Juan Caceres' story, calling Ogre stupid and asking about the grinding, how much the toe had wiggled and resisted. Juan Caceres went on and on, keeping the zapatero's eyes and attention on him as the wind ate at the pile, grain by grain. But come, Juan Caceres finally said, you've made such a big pile I'll never have a chance. All I've ever ground is unresisting ogre toe, and you do this all the time. Let me grind my own pixie and we'll measure piles. The zapatero looked at his shrunken pile, but not too closely. It's true. You haven't a chance. You never did. I am the first zapatero, and I have been grinding pixies for far longer than you have been alive. You'll enjoy staying with me. <laughs> Perhaps you'll never leave. I'll take my chances. 
The Zapatero set down the pixie head, unlocked the safe, and removed another squirming creature. He held it by the feet, offering the biting head. Juan Caceres feigned timidity, backed away, and closed the front window, cutting the cunning breeze. Then, to the Zapatero's surprise, Juan Caceres snatched the pixie and was not bitten. Juan Caceres smiled and took up the grating bone, but the pixie went as limp as a cooked noodle. He could not grind like this. The Zapatero roared with laughter and drank from his flask. <laughs> I am the first Zapatero. I learned how to hold pixies in the morning of the world. He went to his plastic chair. Juan Caceres had never seen a live pixie. He'd probably inhaled many pixies if he was to add up all the bags he'd huffed. Their magic clogged his brain and had held off goblin sickness for years. They had given themselves for him, and now that he felt the warmth of the trembling, flaccid body in his palm, he felt pity and regret for all he had inhaled. The buzz in his ears from the ogre toe dulled. Ricardo was still in danger. Goblin sickness had him in its grip. In short months, yellow scales would hide away who he was, leaving an accountant or a salesman in scuffed black shoes. Come, Pixie, Juan Caceres whispered. You and I are of a kind. We are both made of magic. You by nature and I by hard work. We owe things to each other. What did the Zapatero ever do for you? He will sell you, move on to some brother or sister of yours, and never think of you again. You will be forgotten. You and my brother face the same problem. If you let me grind you, I will not sell you. I will use you to save Ricardo. I can steal money, but I cannot steal a brother. The pixie eyed him balefully. I am sorry, pixie, Juan Caceres whispered. I owe you. Bite my thumb and take my blood. It carries powerful ogre magic. It will make the end painless, and it will bind you and I. Juan Caceres pushed his thumb closer, until the pixie sank its little kitten teeth into the tender, dirty flesh. Juan Caceres cried out. Bitch you, did he? The Zapatero laughed from across the workshop. Give up now. You'll find it easier to warm my cot if your fingers are not all bloody. The fangs of pixies make painful infections. The little pixie sucked at his thumb, drawing at syrupy blood. The dark eyes met those of Juan Caceres, widening. Then, the little pixie trembled. They communed over rough ogre magic. And when he had drunk his fill, the pixie pulled away his red lips and stiffened. Juan Caceres started grinding. The pixie was silent. Its thought, like those of Juan Caceres, when he'd first snorted the ogre toe on some distant, bad and dizzying place, far from where they were now. The pixie feet crumbled into dust with the eerie sound of splitting bone. The Zapatero surged to his feet. He fumed beneath the yellow bulb. The pixie was stiff. Juan Caceres' stroke were even. A little pile formed and would clearly grow larger than the Zapatero's. He snatched the grinding bone and the pixie away. You cheated me, he said. You did something to the pixie. And you did something to my dog. And you probably did something to the shoes. You are some sort of witch. I am Juan Caceres. I snorted ogre toe and escaped from Malapaga. 
The wager is off. Give me the bit of uncut pixie that I need for my brother, and you will never see me again. I would not give uncut pixie to anyone. You are locked in with me, boy, and you will warm my cot tonight. The Zapatero put the bone on the table and reached for Juan Caceres. The boy stumbled over shoes. There was nowhere to run. Juan Caceres backed against the locked door. The Zapatero stood before him. Juan Caceres' eyes darted. His magic could do nothing in a place like this. Nowhere to reach. No one to help. He felt fear, as he had when flinching from the dog. The Zapatero cried out. The pixie had sunk his tiny teeth deep into the meat of the Zapatero's hand, sucking at the blood, uniting pixie, ogre, Juan Caceres, and the Zapatero in the little footless body. The Zapatero must have had old magic in him, because the pixie broke his grasp and ran on stumpy ankles while the Zapatero cursed and sucked at his wound and chased the thing about. <laughs> Go, little blood brother! Juan Caceres laughed. Juan Caceres darted under the table, where lay the shoe with the ground pixie. He put it on and its mate. They were man shoes, and he clopped around in high, clumsy steps. The zapatero headed the pixie off before it could escape between the bars of the front window. Juan Caceres high-stepped into the backyard. The heat of his foot melted the uncut pixie. The stickiness throbbed in his shoe. It itched to seep into his blood, cried out to be inhaled. It tingled up his leg like mint on tongue. Juan Caceres took great steps. The tingling shoe found solid footing in the air, and the other shoe, as if in sympathy, followed it step for step. Juan Caceres laughed as he rose until he was over the roof. He stepped higher and higher, laughing for a long time, until he looked down on splashes of yellow light far below. Above and far off, the moon backlit a dog running across the sky, shaking its snout and spinning to race in the other direction. He watched with delight until the dog disappeared behind a bank of clouds, drifting on high winds. Juan Caceres clumped through the sky, over the Parque Central, over the prostitutes and gangs at Septima, and the drunks propped against the fences at the bus station. The awkward high-stepping tired his legs, but the shoe followed roads he did not know. The path eventually descended along the road to El Progreso, near the soda bottling plant. Ricardo lived off a dirt road in a house of cinder block perched awkwardly on a steep hill. The barrio prostrated itself beneath the pre-dawn dark when even the gang slept. Juan Caceres stepped to the ground and crept into the house through the front door. Even before he'd snarted ogre toe, few locks would have delayed him, and now he had a magic shoe. The other had slipped off on the high winds, and he stepped-clopped forward, one man foot, one boy foot. He began laughing again. Figures moved. A light flicked on. Juan Caceres' laughter overcame him, and he fell down, the big shoe high in the air. A goblin woman in a tattered nightgown glared at him, her scales lividly green in the harsh light of the single bulb. She held a belt. Juan Caceres? Ricardo asked. Tiny scales, still pale yellow, shone above the collar of his clean t-shirt. <laughs> I, I brought you uncut pixie, Juan Caceres said, in my shoe. We can save you from the goblin sickness. No, you won't, his mother said. She raised the belt threateningly, but she did not strike. Juan Caceres felt his laughter fading, and he sat. 
Help me, help me get this off, he said. It comes from the first Zapatero himself, uncut pixie. He tugged at the tingling shoe. It was stuck, but would come off with a bit of help. After moments of trying, he looked at Ricardo. Help me, he said. Ricardo was still. You don't want it, Juan Caceres said. I got it for you. This will keep you from changing. I can't, Ricardo said miserably. Juan Caceres let the lone shoe touch the dirt. I'm your brother, Juan Caceres said. Ricardo shook his head. Their goblin mother began crying. A dizzy sadness welled in Juan Caceres. His throat tightened. He stepped clomped out. The door slammed, stealing Juan Caceres in the darkness outside. He sat on the slope beneath the house. The dizziness of the ogre toe and pixie felt distant and inadequate. In a few more months, everyone he knew would be a goblin. The police and social workers still wanted to hang upon him the ornaments of goblinhood, mathematics, grammar, catechism, iron shirts, blackened shoes. He might go back to Tegucigalpa, or he could beg and trick his way westward to Guatemala or even Mexico. The moon emerged from behind clouds. The dog ran free in the sky, and the pixies and he shared blood now. Juan Caceres, the boy who had snorted ogre toe, stepped into the sky. And welcome back, listeners. Next time you're down in Tegucigalpa, say hello to Juan Caceres for me, will you? I feel about the word Tegucigalpa the way others on this podcast feel about Voinemoinen. Tegucigalpa. Tegucigalpa. Ah, well. Hi. While Anna catches her breath after the excitement of that word, this is Peter Wood, your humble sound producer for Podcastle, doing feedback duties for episode 270, The Secret of Calling Rabbits by Wendy Wagner. Our forum bunnies had a mixed reaction to this one. Evergreen Monster felt that it, quote, had too many tropes that I don't really like. Innocent little girl who just wants to be friends, last of his kind old curmudgeon whose heart of stone is melted by said little girl, big bad humans who are the real monsters, wise old witch lady, end quote. But felt that, quote, the writing itself was good. However, others really dug it. Get it? Dug it? Never mind. Sinandre wrote, this one made me cry a little. It touched the outsider in me. While Devoted 135 thought that John Meager's narration was fantastic, and the story did an effective job at getting me right inside Rugel's head, I found him to be a very interesting point-of-view character. What everyone did agree on was that Dave's inclusion of Tyrion in his list of dwarfs... Dwarves? Dwarfs? was a bit specious, as Tyrion is not a dwarf in the fantasy sense. If you want to see more about that particular issue, or share your own thoughts on that story, this story, or any other podcastle episode, head over to forum.escapeartist.net. Back to you, Anna. I remind you, as ever, that we depend on your donations to keep the castle afloat. And if you enjoy what we're doing please consider a monetary expression of said enjoyment. Additionally, we appreciate if you share the castle with all your friends and neighbors. There's plenty of castle to go around, 
and a little something for everyone. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle and Lecky, Peter Wood, Dave Thompson, and myself, Anna Schwind, thank you for joining us again. Next week, we look toward a different horizon with a sad story about hopeless gestures and the sort of people who make them. See you then. I leave you with this quote from writer Evelyn Waugh, who said, Words should be an intense pleasure, just as leather should be to a shoemaker. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. I leave you with this quote from writer Evelyn Waugh, who said, Words should be an intense pleasure, just as leather should be to a shoemaker.'"